Ever feel like, man, it's so scary being vulnerable. It'd be so scary to be real, to be authentic, to be weak about what's going on. If you watch that video and you go, man, that's me sometimes. You picked a great Sunday to be at Purpose Church. I want to welcome everyone who's here with us. I want to welcome our friends online, uh, The Hangar in Montana, Arco, Idaho, uh, Purpose Church in Rancho as well. Pastor Glenn isn't here this morning um, because he is visiting a church up in the Northwest that is thinking about becoming a part of the Purpose Church Network. And so that's really exciting. So you guys uh, get me this morning. And as I've been praying and thinking about this amazing series that we're in, talking about what it would mean to live a fearless life, I got to thinking about how the culture that I'm a part of and the culture that you're a part of promotes and encourages us to avoid the struggles that we face. It encourages us to to pretend that things aren't really that bad, that we don't have weaknesses, that we have it all together. But what we're going to see this morning is just this brilliant, crazy idea that, that comes out of Scripture that basically says, man, if you're willing to be vulnerable and real and authentic, if you're willing to be weak, you could have the potential of experiencing God's power like you've never experienced it before. That literally God could do some transformative work in your life, beginning on the inside, flowing to the outside in a way like he's never done before, if you would be willing to be real and to be honest. And all week as I've been wrestling through this sermon, this is actually the last thing I want to do. The last thing I want to do is be real and vulnerable with you. I don't want to tell you the ways that I've messed up. I want to tell you all the ways that I'm succeeding. I want to tell you all the ways that I feel like I'm kicking butt. I don't want to tell you about a few months ago when Charlie, my three and a half year old son, when he was having a hard time sleeping at night, and we pulled him into bed with us because, you know, he was crying and we didn't want him to wake up Brinley. And, and some of you know this already, but my wife is actually pregnant with uh, number three and, and she, she's due in June. And, and they've said that, you know, going from maybe two kids to three kids or maybe three kids to four kids is like you're drowning and then somebody hands you a baby. And, and that's kind of how, that's kind of how we, I think we're going to feel. Life seems really crazy right now. And, and, and so we're beginning to have conversations in our family about this new baby coming and, and what we're going to name this baby girl and, and which room this baby girl is going to live in and, and what it's going to be like at the hospital. And, and so Charlie's in bed with us and, and Sarah and I are kind of holding hands and he's there right in the middle of us. And, and I just asked him, I said, Hey, Charlie, do you have any questions about the baby? thinking he's going to ask about name or where the baby's going to be or no, no, not Charlie. Charlie says this. He goes, yeah, dad, I do. How's the baby going to come out? (laughs) And I'm literally, I'm literally feeling so ill-equipped for this conversation, right? I want to tell you as a pastor that, that man, when he asked that, I didn't flinch that I knew exactly what to say, that I confidently explained things to him. But to be real with you, I think I traumatized him. You know what I mean? Like I think think he's gonna be screwed up a little bit from this conversation. And Sarah and I are kind of clenching each other's hands going, I can't believe we're having this conversation. And then it gets real quiet. And then Charlie says, well, how'd the baby get in there? (laughs) 
which is like a whole different conversation, right? Like that's, that's, that we're entering into a whole new world. And I want to tell you as a pastor that, oh man, I had, I had planned and plotted on how to talk with my kids about sex, how to, how to tell them how this whole thing happens. You guys, I fumbled through this conversation. Again, he's going to need years of counseling from what I shared with him. I am confident of this. I'm absolutely confident of this. And then, and then there's this moment where it got real silent again. And then he says this, he goes, well, dad, where do monster trucks come from? <laughs> Which I'm like, I, I guess we're going down that road. You know what I mean? So we begin to have these kind of conversations. You see, I don't want to tell you the stories about the ways that my wife, Sarah, has given me a very clear honeydew list with, with seemingly simple things on it to do. And, and each time the conversation gets brought up, I, I, I cough a little bit, right? And I'm like, I'm feeling kind of sick right now, baby girl. I, I, I can't do that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to tell you the ways that I feel insecure as a pastor or feel like my worth and my identity and value come from what I do. I don't want to tell you the ways that I struggle as a workaholic. I, I don't want to tell you the stories of, of the ways I fail as a husband, as a pastor, as a parent. But then I look at the Bible and I read these stories and I see that Jesus shows up on planet earth and essentially what he says to the world is things are not okay and I know that. He shows up and he says, I actually have a better way for you. He'll say things like, I have come that people might have life and have it to the full. Meaning we don't have life to the full apart from Jesus Christ. He'll, he'll come and he'll say things like, I, I have come as a ransom for many. He'll say things like, I am the truth and the way and the life. He'll say things like, if you come to me and you are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. You see, Jesus was crystal clear and didn't avoid the reality that we live in a world where we are weak and we are broken. And the temptation is to stuff things down, to avoid our brokenness, to pretend it doesn't exist. But that will ultimately end up ruining you and destroying you. And we are invited by God as Jesus levels the playing field and says, every single person in this room, including me, doesn't have it all together. We are invited to be real with God. We are invited to be real with others about what's going on. And so what I wanna talk about for the next few minutes is why should we be real? Why should we be vulnerable? Why should we actually be weak? And then how do you actually go about doing it? Because if it's just theory, if it's just a nice idea, then it's pointless. But the scriptures actually give us tangible tips and advice and instruction on how to go about being vulnerable. And I just believe that if we do this, we will experience God's power because it's so backwards. It's so counterintuitive. It's so different than the message that we tell ourselves and the message that we hear all around us, it's so crazy that it might just work. Would you find me in 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we meet this guy, Paul. Who Paul was a guy who had a lot of stuff together in terms of his Jewish culture. He was raised in the right neighborhood. He followed the right laws. 
He was passionate about God. He was well-educated. He had a lot of masks that he could wear. And yet we're gonna see him instead of bragging and boasting about his accomplishments. We're gonna see him do something entirely different. Find me in part two of verse 21, chapter 11. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to be talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder And then he takes an interesting turn. He's saying, you know, I I could spend a lot of my time bragging about all the things that I've done well. I could brag about my credentials and my accomplishments. But instead, I'm gonna do something entirely different. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from my own people. I've been in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city. I've been in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. What Paul begins with is why do we have to be vulnerable? Why do we have to open up and share? It's because just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you won't suffer. Just because you're a Christian, just because you go to church, it doesn't mean that you won't have suffering and pain in your life. And so nobody can get away with saying, ah, my life's clean. My life's great. I don't have any problems. Because here's Paul, who in some ways did it all right. And yet his rap sheet of what he's been through puts all of ours to shame. You see, Paul could have spent his time bragging and articulating how great he is. He could have put on mask after mask after mask, but instead he says, you know what? I gotta be real. I gotta talk about what's really going on in my life. Because here's the harsh truth. Everyone suffers. Everyone has pain in their life. But as a follower of Jesus, you can move beyond the question of why into the question of where is God? That everyone suffers, everyone struggles. But you can begin to move into this place where you say, okay, where is God in the middle of this? What is God doing in the middle of this? And so since everyone suffers, Paul's second advice for us is you've got to be real about this thing in your life. You've got to be real about what's going on. Verse chapter 12, verse six says this, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from beginning from becoming conceited, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So Paul has this thing, this thorn in his side, which is like a splinter. It's an annoyance. It's a struggle. It's a temptation. We don't know if it was because he was partially blind. We don't know if he had a limp when he walked. We don't know if it was some sexual struggles and temptations. We don't know if it was pride or arrogance or insecurities. We don't know what it is, but he's got something in his life that is hard and painful. And he can choose at this moment to be real or to avoid. And then Jesus speaks into the conversation. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace, this is Jesus speaking, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says, my grace and my forgiveness over your life, the fact that I'm giving you breath to breathe, that I've created you and designed you and that we are in a relationship together, that is actually sufficient. And that this is how this relationship is gonna work. When you are weak, My power is made perfect. It means God's power is made whole. It means God's power is complete. You see, in this crazy, beautiful, mysterious way, when you and I are weak, it provides an avenue. Our weakness becomes the vehicle for God to do something unimaginable, for God to heal and restore and bind up and fix. It doesn't come from us pretending everything's okay and somehow stumbling into it because just because you pretend everything is okay, it doesn't mean it is okay, right? So Paul says in response to Jesus, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the church should be the safest place on the planet to admit that we don't have it all together, to admit that we're broken and that we're struggling. The church should be that place where we could actually be real and authentic about what's going on because we believe that it is when we are weak, when we are vulnerable, when we're honest about our brokenness and our struggles that God can show up and be powerful. If we're gonna just pretend that everything's okay, where's the room for God? But if we'll be willing to admit that we don't have it all together, that we're struggling, what if we could experience an amazing transformation in our lives. So I have to ask you this question. Is the reason you and I are not real because our God is too small or because our pride is too big? Are you not real with God and with the people around you because your God, you believe God to be too small or is your pride too big? Let's start with this pride thing. If you believe that your pride is too big, you have to take this story seriously. here's Paul. He's like a man's man. Like I'm telling you, I struggle putting together Ikea products. Can I get an amen? Is there any other guys out there who struggle with this? Like I'm following the directions and and I'm I'm praying when I complete it that Sarah's gonna just give me a standing ovation. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm just begging and praying because these things take me days to do. But Paul isn't like that at all. 
Paul's like this man's man, like he's been flogged and beaten and he spent the night on a ship and he thought he's gonna die multiple times and he's gone through these amazing, incredible experiences. And yet though Paul is strong and though he's like this man's man, he says, I will choose to boast about my weaknesses because when I am weak, God is strong. Or maybe for some of you, your view of God is he is really small and you get really worried about overwhelming him. I was thinking about, you know, with my toddlers, with Brindley and Charlie as they will get in fights with each other and they'll, they'll steal each other's Legos or they'll push each other or whatever. You know, they'll run up to me and, and, and Brindley will say, daddy, 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 Charlie pushed me. Or Charlie will say, daddy, 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 Brindley stole my Legos. When I hear their concerns and their issues, I don't go, oh my gosh, this is like too complicated. <laughs> I, I, right? I, I don't sit there and I go, I honestly have no idea how to, how to resolve this. Like you guys are blowing my mind right now. You're like, we need to sign you up for counseling. I can't help. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, I don't say that because these conflicts and these issues that they're going through for them seem impossible to resolve. But for me, they're fairly easy. Why then would we think that when we bring our concerns and our brokenness and our weaknesses to God, that he would go, oh, I didn't prepare for this. I didn't plan for this. Why would we ever think that? You see, the scriptures are jam-packed with prayers from people in the book of Psalms and the book of Limitations and all over the place where they're going, God, where are you? God, I'm frustrated. God, I don't know what to do. And God is not threatened by those. In fact, it's when we're vulnerable and weak and broken that God can speak into the situation. You see, our weakness and our brokenness does not drive God away from us. It actually propels him towards us. So for a few minutes left that we have, I wanna talk about four practical ways in your lives to apply this. So why, why do we need to be vulnerable? Because everybody's got brokenness, everybody's got struggle, everybody's got suffering. And because when we do that, we have the potential of experiencing God's power, him doing an amazing work. So how do you actually do that? And I wanna look at four areas with you. The first is this. We need to begin by being real with God. We need to begin by being real with God. Check out this beautiful passage in Hebrews chapter four. Verse 14 to 16, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest. We do not have a Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. So Jesus was tempted in every way. He experienced the same struggles, the same challenges, and yet... He did not sin. And if we stop right there, you might go, well, I, I just can't relate with him then. He's got his act together. I don't. Oh, so, so, so if, if I'm gonna be in a relationship with him, you know what I need to do? I need to pretend like everything's, are, everything's okay. I need to show up to church and each week remind God of how faithful I am. I need to earn his love in any ways humanly possible in order for him to love me and accept me. But that's not where the scripture ends. Verse 16, let us then in response to this perfect Jesus, 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what being real with God means? It means you approach him boldly. It means you need to be driving in the car. And as you're driving from that that fight that you had with your wife, you need to say, God, I blew it. I messed up. I keep doing this over and over again. Or you need to get intimate with God where you say, God, I am addicted to porn and I don't know what to do about it. Or I've got this eating disorder or this struggle or this temptation or this secret that nobody else knows about and I need help. Do you know that you have a God who created you, who knows you so intimately that he can handle all that stuff? He never wants to reject you. He never wants to move away from you. And your brokenness and your sin is the vehicle to move closer towards him and to experience his power and his strength. Second area where we need to be real is with our families. And I think that when we begin to be real with our families, when we begin to be vulnerable and weak with our families, you know what's gonna happen? There is gonna be a restoring of relationship. There's a man here at the church who a while ago came up to me. I said, Eric, I never apologize to my kids for what I put them through. I never admitted what was really going on in my life and I'm paying for it now. I have another friend who came up to me about a year ago, we were talking and he said, you know what, Eric, my dad never apologized to me. He never admitted he was wrong. He never got real and honest with us as a family and he put us through hell and it was painful and it was hard and life Life was troubling for us. And I remember I asked him, I said, did your dad ever apologize to you? And he started weeping. And he said, that would have made all the difference. Dads and moms in the room, we need to get better at being vulnerable and weak in front of our children. We need to get good at saying, hey, you know what? I told you that I was gonna fulfill this promise and I didn't and I'm sorry about that. Hey, I overreacted in this situation. I said some things that I shouldn't. I'm sorry about that. Or with your spouse, with your husband or with your wife. We need to be the kind of people who say, I blew it there. I told you I'd do that. I said that and I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I remember when Charlie was three months old, the first like zero to six months, I mean, it's torture. You know what I mean? Like, like the sleep deprivation alone drives a man insane. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember just being like, this is ungodly right now, what I'm experiencing. And I'd be up in the middle of the night and I'm like, please go to bed. Like, just go to bed, please. Like, what can I do to make you go to bed? I'm trying to figure out what to go to bed. And I remember looking at Charlie and he was a little three month old and he's, he's wailing and crying. It's like 3 a.m. And I literally was like, Charlie, go to bed. Like I just like was like yelling. I was just so frustrated in this moment. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, I don't want to be that kind of dad. I don't want to be that kind of dad who pretends like everything's okay. Who is too prideful to admit that I was wrong. So I remember looking at him that next morning and he's looking at me and probably pooping his pants or whatever he's doing and He's sitting there and he's looking at me and I'm like, hey, Charlie, 
I'm sorry. Dad yelled at you and I shouldn't have. I wanna be that kind of dad. I'm recognizing because I'm imperfect, because I'm broken, because I'm weak, that I'm not gonna be able to be the perfect dad to my kids or the perfect husband to Sarah. But I wanna be the kind of dad and the kind of husband who's willing to say, I'm sorry, I don't have it all together. The third area is what would it look like to be real at work? That's for those of you that have careers and jobs and maybe you're leaders in your industry, maybe you're teachers, maybe you're administrators, maybe you're business leaders. What would it look like to be the kind of person who is willing to admit when you make a mistake? Who is willing to say, I don't have all the answers for how to address this problem. Patrick Lincioni is a famous uh, leadership guru expert. And he talks about how within huge, huge businesses and, and firms and corporations, that oftentimes there's five dysfunctions to those teams. And the very first one, the most important one, is that there is a lack of vulnerability-based trust. You see, do you want your businesses to grow and thrive? Do you want to accomplish the unimaginable at work? Do you want to see God use you in an incredible way in your professional life? What if the answer is not pretending like you have it all together or pretending like you have all the answers or staying stuffed up in your office and not being real with the people around you? But what if you were the kind of boss who was the first to say, hey guys, I actually messed this up. Hey guys, this is, this is my fault. Hey guys, I wanna make that up to you because I dropped the ball. Man, work, our professions, our careers would be radically different. And then the last one, the one I wanna focus on for a little bit longer this morning is what would it look like to be real with community? What would it look like to be real and to let others into our lives. I get that this is a very, very scary thing. And for some people, this is incredibly challenging to be in some kind of group where you are admitting what is going on in your life. But here's what's crazy. Tim Keller, who's a Christian author, pastor, speaker, he writes in this book, The Meaning of Marriage, about what makes a marriage great. And he has this little line that, that it applies to marriage, but definitely applies to community. And he says this, the Genesis narrative, meaning the story of Genesis in those first few chapters is implying that our intense relational capacity created and given to us by God was not fulfilled completely by our vertical relationship with him. God designed us to need horizontal relationships with other human beings. In the year 1829 in Pennsylvania, a group of people got together and they said, we're gonna build a state of the art like never been seen before penitentiary. And they said, we're gonna take the worst of the worst criminals and we're gonna rehabilitate them. We're gonna change their lives. And this was their theory on how to do that. They said, we are gonna absolutely isolate these prisoners, these criminals, from any other human contact. And so what they did is as the prisoners walked up to the, to the gates of the prison, they would put a bag over their heads so they couldn't see anything about where they were going. The prison guards would put wool socks over their shoes so that the prisoners in the other cells could not hear them walking around. 
And they would walk these prisoners into their isolated cells where they were there all day, every day. In these cells were a bathroom, a toilet, a bed, and a Bible. And there's a window where they could see the sun coming through. And as the prison guards were walking around with their wool socks covering their boots, they would guard this place and never would these prisoners, these criminals, have any kind of interaction or contact with anyone else. And do you know what they found? These prisoners went insane. They literally went crazy. They had the scriptures, but they didn't have community. You and I, we were wired. We were hardwired for an intimate relationship with our creator God and an intimate, vulnerable, real relationship with others. You see, God wants the real you. He, he doesn't want to fake you or a pretend you. And he wants you to be real with other people. In fact, that's all part of his plan in order to exhibit his power and his strength. But how do you do that? What kind of communities should we be? Let's look at three verses really quick together on very practical ways that we can be vulnerable and weak and real. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your communities, your small group, your life group, your rooted group should not be a bragging group. Should not be a group that, that, that just says all the things and all the accomplishments that you've done. It should be a group where you get real and vulnerable and honest and confess what's actually going on and pray for each other. Are you a part of that kind of a community? Do you have a group of people who you could confess what's really going on and know that they will love you and they will pray for you and they will be there for you. That's what is offered to you through Rooted. That's what is offered to you through being a part of a life group here at Purpose Church. Is an environment where you could confess and where you could be real. Or check out Romans 12, 15 to 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Are you a part of a community that rejoices and celebrates together? And at the same time is willing to cry, is willing to hear about what's actually going on in your world. And then lastly, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You see, God's grand picture for you and I's lives is that we would be in a community where we are sharing the gospel and we are sharing life where we are finding hope and encouragement and challenge and conviction and also getting to know each other on a deeper level. It's not enough to just attend. It's not enough to just be one of the thousands that come to church here. You were hardwired for a kind of community where you could be vulnerable and weak and experience the power and the strength of God. Sarah and I personally are a part of a life group. And it actually began as a rooted group. 
And I remember in those first few weeks kind of working through some stuff and, and trying to figure out how we could go deeper with each other. And, and, and you know, Rooted is a great experience because it will challenge you to be vulnerable and honest and you'll grow and it'll be incredible. And I, I remember we, we completed Rooted and then we became a life group. And we meet every other week and we have some babysitters, God bless their souls who watch our kids. Oh my word. We get out of there as quickly as possible. They watch the kids. And we're in a life group where we are vulnerable and real with each other. A few Mondays ago, we were sitting in our life group and, and all of a sudden, Sarah and I, as we were talking and we were kind of answering some questions and reflecting, we realized that, that we had gotten in this rut where we were just having logistical conversations. And if you're maybe new to parenting or maybe you've just found yourself in this rut, it can be so easy as husband and wife to just have logistical conversations all the time. And when we only have logistical conversations, a part of me dies inside, you know? And we're having these logistical conversations over and over and over again, and we're not having these life-giving conversations. And so in this life group setting, Sarah and I are talking this out, and what it was, it was free group counseling. It was great. And we're sitting there, and we're processing through this stuff, and our life group was able to offer some thoughts. And they prayed for us and they encouraged us. And man, this moment where Sarah and I could be weak and say, we're not doing really well conversationally right now. Man, God invaded that place through our community and changed us. Our conversations have been radically different since. Last Monday, our life group met. And I don't know what was happening, but just for some reason, people got really real and vulnerable. There was shared that some of us struggle with forgiving each other. It was shared that some of us are struggling with intimacy with one another. It was shared that, that we're not feeling like we're connecting the way we should. We're struggling as parents. And I tell you, in this moment where we got so vulnerable and so real, and there it was scary and it was challenging, and it felt like people were being weak. You know what we experienced together? We experienced God in our midst. That as we were weak, we realized we can be made strong in Christ. That God can redeem and restore and heal our marriages and our parenting and our struggles and our brokenness. And that in community, we could be there for each other and pray for each other and be that kind of family with one another. And some of you have been going to church for an incredibly long time and you've never experienced this. You've never known what it feels like to really be known and heard. And we want that for you at this church. Because maybe, maybe that moment that you begin letting go of the fear of being real might be the very moment that you realize you have just made room for God's power in your life. So where are you weak? Where are you vulnerable? Where are you broken? Where do you need to be real? And how could you do that? With God, with your family, with work, and then especially in community. I'm not just up here preaching about life groups and rooted groups. I'm living it. And it's hard and it's challenging but it's the best thing I could ever be a part of. And it's modeled through scripture all over the place. And it might be that ticket to freedom that you're looking for.
So here's what I'm gonna do with our few seconds together left. I wanna invite everyone in the room to stand up. And whether you're brand new to this place or you've been here for a really long time, you need to know that we are family here. That we love each other and we care about each other. And that this church, Purpose Church, is a safe place to be honest because our king, our leader, Jesus, said it was okay. And because leader after leader after leader has modeled this for us and so we will be the church that says we can be weak and we can be vulnerable because when we are, we are on the cusp of experiencing God's transformative power in our lives in a way like we've never experienced it before. So what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to get vulnerable for a quick second. I want you to grab the hands of the people next to you. Because we're a family. And my challenge, church, and my invitation is to be real, be vulnerable, be weak. Because when you are, God's power is made perfect and he is strong in your life. But you don't have to do that alone. You get to do that with each other. Heavenly Father, we hold hands as a way of just saying we need you, God. We recognize that we are in this together, that we are better together, that you created us to be together. So God, would we be the kind of church, would we be the kind of community that says we will not settle for pretending like things are okay. We will be vulnerable and weak because our savior and our king said we could be. So God, we worship you in our weakness, in our brokenness, in the ways where we don't have it all together. We worship you because when we are weak, you are strong.